1: Are you struggling to keep up with the latest releases? Want to keep an eye on what's coming out in the next few months for work or your own personal pre-ordering needs? If you need help turbocharging your TBR, Book Riot Insiders is here for you. Our new release index, which is available at the novel level for just $5 a month, is curated by resident reader Liberty Hardy from the All the Books podcast. She keeps track of the most interesting books. Pre publication so that you can browse them, know when your favorite author's next novel hits stores, or find your next favorite read. Go to insiders.bookriot.com, that's insiders.bookriot.com to get signed up.
0: Hello and welcome back to London Romance, everybody's favorite place to talk about romance novels, not not like your love affairs. We can't talk about those. We don't know anything about them. But romance novels, we got you. I'm Jess. And
1: I'm Trisha. And I would also say that your uh, love affairs might end up getting us an explicit
0: rating if we try to talk about those.
1: So (laughs) who's to say? Although looking at our agenda for today, we may well end up with one anyway. So we'll see.
0: I'll do my best not to curse.
1: Uh, I don't know if it's the cursing. I Well, you all will, will we'll get there when we get there. But uh, this may be an episode that is not one. We, we know that you all enjoy listening to one in romance with the small children in your lives. This may not be that episode. So I don't know. Maybe listen to it first and then decide uh, where to go from there. Um, but before we jump into all of that. Uh, we did want to do just like a little little bit of follow-up um, from our last episode when we talked about the ripped bodice uh, inclusion and diversity and romance report and we got a really great and uh, insightful email from um, a listener whose first name I will use but I will I will not I think that's probably okay. Um, So Heather emailed us um, and mentioned that she was wondering about independent publishing's role in the diversity discussion um, and actually in the plagiarism discussion as well. And, you know, I think the plagiarism side, we've maybe talked a little bit about a lot of the Kindle Unlimited books are uh, indie published. Courtney Courtney Milan's books are uh, independently published as well. And so I'm not going to say we have address the full spectrum of things to talk about there. But um I think we've gotten into that a little bit more. We didn't talk about it, um, nor to my knowledge does the Rip Bodice uh address it. I know they don't in the diversity report, but I don't think they have um, you know, mentioned anything explicitly otherwise. And I think, you know, Jess, I I this is such a great point and I um I'm very, very grateful to Heather for pointing it out. I think this is you know, there's good and bad, right? I think Indie publishing is an avenue to publishing um, for a lot of authors who might have a hard time finding one, uh, and that certainly includes uh, authors of color. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, partly related to some of those plagiarism issues, or or even just you know, you know, um, the way that Amazon highlights different books, it may be that folks aren't getting the opening that they could be otherwise.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about briefly at least, um, how, you know, indie publishing is not heavily, but is a place where we see a lot of authors of color because they couldn't sell their books to traditional publishers or what they wanted wasn't what traditional publishers were interested in. And they decided to publish them on their own anyway and get huge followings. I mean, um, even within the Ripped Bodice, Um, Rebecca Weatherspoon has done indie publishing for most of her books. And I think she's got, um, something coming out in 2020 that is, um, through a traditional publisher, but for the most part, her greatest sales have been through independent publishing. Um, and that's one example. And I'm not going to say that every author of color who has tried to go the traditional route and been unsuccessful has gone indie. I'm not going to say that, um, but it's definitely something to think about why independent publishing has sort of a basis of more familiar names in a list of authors of color, but I think they they are linked. So um, there is good and bad as far as um, looking at independent publishing and its role in the diversity report and also the the plagiarizing thing and that is a conversation that we could have probably for the longest podcast ever. Ongoing, never ending. Um
1: <laughs> But we actually think we might come in uh at time this time around. So so we maybe we'll maybe we'll hold that for uh when we get to uh you know episode thirty
0: one or thirty two. yeah right. yeah we'll see. We'll see what happens. It'll it'll turn into one of those those um church services that never ends. we just turn it to a live broadcast and keep talking exactly yeah yeah
1: (laughs) just like we get like a radio station and just 24 hours a day just go straight through (laughs) but it is a good reminder that uh this is absolutely a thing that um we haven't talked that much about and it would be really interesting if somebody um i'm not gonna certainly not gonna put it on the Uh, rip bodice team because they've done such a great job but if anybody was interested in taking a look at some of those numbers and uh seeing um how you know authors of color are doing with indie publishing and where there might be room for improvement i think we can guess it's probably a lot of places that would absolutely be fascinating to read
0: absolutely
1: so uh thank you again to heather for writing in
0: yes thank you heather um we do read
1: people's emails i was telling just before we started recording i've been having some trouble with book riot comments so if you've been commenting on our posts and have not uh been getting replies that is i think at this point the, the issue there was a, a, a system issue but i i think at this point that's been fixed and for some reason it's just me and my computer and my need to close out my tabs and restart probably
0: <laughs> i know that feeling well yeah <laughs>
1: I have a feeling you and I are not the only ones, uh, involved right now who, who know that feeling. Um, but <laughs> anyway, so I will, I will work on that and, um, see if we can get back to you because occasionally I can glimpse them briefly and they seem very insightful. So thank you as always to everybody who, uh, um, tweets or comments or emails about, uh, the podcast. It's really helpful for us to get to see a lot of that stuff.
0: Absolutely. Thank you all.
1: So I think that was our follow up segment of the day. Shall we talk a little bit, Jess, about? Clean and dirty and seamy and erotic and pornographic and all of the other kinds of terminology and loaded words we use to talk about books that include sex.
0: Oh gosh, let's where to start. So there was (laughs) there was a conversation that happened in a few places and it spilled over into book riot. We had a couple posts about it. I I got on a little itty bitty soapbox on Kissing Books about it, um, about the whole concept of clean books, clean romance specifically, which in the romance world basically means there is no sex. I know in some other situations people were like, oh yeah, that means there's no cursing, there's no drinking, there's no violence, that kind of thing. Um, but really when it comes to romance, it's people who are looking for books that don't have sex on the page. And that kind of book is perfectly fine. Like, I love books that are just so intense that I realize by the end of it that the protagonists hadn't even thought about sex. There might be like the steamiest kiss on the planet, two pages from the end, and I'll be like, oh, wait, huh, that's cool. Um, But I also read the other end of the spectrum, which is erotic romance, which means the romance story needs the sex to be told. So there's a huge spectrum of romance, and using the word clean for one end of that spectrum automatically inputs the word dirty, the opposite of clean, at the other end of the spectrum. And I will caveat that I know that there are some of us who use the word dirty in kind of a, not taking the word back so much, but in a like, a like dirty sex in my books kind of way. And that's not saying that sex is dirty, but that a particular kind of sex <laughs> is dirty. And I don't know how to explain that explicit, it, without going into explicitness. I mean, I'm pretty sure we're going to be there. So <laughs> we're going we're to be there. But like, I'm, I'm not going to use words to explain dirty sex. That might be for the best. Um, But if you read it, you kind of know what I'm talking about. And if you don't read it, Ask a friend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that is a different thing.
1: <laughs> go go to the – if you don't read it, go to the Book Riot comments. Go we'll, to the Book Riot <laughs> <laughs> We'll see if someone can help you out. <laughs> Just kidding. They probably won't let that stay either. But you can – you know we'll, we'll – I think – I mean, I think you're right, Jess. I think part of the issue too is that people use different words very differently. And so – you can – I think there is something to be said about like, – I mean, I think, you know, you mentioned people aren't necessarily reclaiming the word dirty. But I think there is an element of that in the same way that kind of – um that Sarah Wendell of Smart Bitches Trashy Books reclaimed trashy, right? And there are still people who don't like that terminology. And I think, you know, the other – an alternative to clean that sometimes people use is sweet. But I also kind of – I yeah, I get kind of like a little bit mm, – firstly about that one too i don't think i think when you and i talk about it and we did a a segment a while back um recommending books that that were non-explicit i think we tend to talk about it as being non-explicit and when we tend to talk about books that do have a high uh, heavier sexual content it we i don't know i use steamy or sometimes we just say explicit or you know i think you don't necessarily have to use the you know kind of some of these metaphors or other ways of i mean if you want to explain that a book doesn't have sex in it. Say that a book doesn't have sex in it. Say it doesn't have sex in <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> but it was – I think part of what sparked this was that women.com um, had a post in their, uh, I don't know, online presence called Seven Clean Romance Novels That Won't Make You Feel Dirty While Reading. Yeah. But I think that's kind of the – that was a, a pretty explicit, you know, suggestion that if you are
0: reading books with sex in them, you are – somehow dirty,
1: as opposed to clean.
0: You feel gross because that is, you feel like a a, a bad person or you feel like you shouldn't be doing that. And it, that's not like, that's not how it should be.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the thing. It shouldn't be, and it's not just because anyone is trying to, you know, tell people how to talk about a thing or how to not talk about a thing, but there's an element of um, kind of that that moves beyond just a person thinking a thing individually. There, it creates a larger system uh that is not sex positive and mm-hmm. that shames people, and frankly, generally women mm-hmm. who are sexually active or who uh would prefer to be sexually active or who are uh approving of books and events and you know stories that are sex positive. And I think that's kind of it's not just a matter of like oh these words. Exist. It's what the larger implication is
0: um, for the way that we build cultural norms. Mm-hmm. That some kind of way, reading about this on the page is shameful for some reason. And uh, you know, we've we've had the conversation about like romance versus pornography and that kind of thing, and who it's made for and what what its purpose is and that kind of thing. And we can have that conversation again because some erotica that is not erotic romance could be cataloged as pornography because it is meant it is written specifically to titillate um and i'll tell you there are some romance authors who write amazing erotic romance that you know is written helpfully to titillate but also is part of the story and there are some authors who just write really great sex scenes to improve the story, or you can take them out and the story is still just as good. Did you know that there are some, I don't know if there are specific publishers or some authors who write two versions of a story?
1: So I've only seen a little bit of indie uh publishing authors kind of play with that a little bit kind of say like here's the open door version of the scene and here's the closed door version of the scene if i'm remembering right penny reed did that with um friends without benefits when she f- had just really first which was uh, her second book and in her first book she didn't um write an explicit sex scene and i think for that one she was just kind of dipping a toe in the water of it and i feel like there's another indie author who i've seen do that but but yeah i it was i was a little surprised that somebody would i mean it's cool let like,
0: you know yeah. It's just so interesting to think about. I think, I don't know if it's an element of my personal upbringing or just I've given up on being shamed about things or what. Um, But I've never seen sex on the page as something to think about as bad. Um, So even if, you know, I read all types, if I read something that has what is not clean pages i don't know um (laughs) it's not like suddenly i'm taken out of the story or i'm i feel like it shouldn't be there and i know that that is part of society and anti-feminism and sexism misogyny all of that that's come together to make women feel like particularly women but people Especially in the United States, feel like they shouldn't be interested in the process of step of sex, and in how sex adds to a relationship of any sort. And it's just clean. Yeah, it's not where my brain goes.
1: And I think too, it also because you know I'm firmly of the mind that people should be allowed to have as much consensual sex as they want adults in particular um and i think whether that's all of the consensual sex or no consent you know like you should not have any sex that is not consensual to be clear <laughs> i don't mean no consensual sex i like as in you are still sexually active
0: N- non consensual
1: <laughs> i mean if you are not having consensual sex you are you should not be having sex at all uh mm-hmm. so anyway quick disclaimer um but i do think that to break down romance and erotic romance and sex scenes in books as either just clean one five letter word or dirty one five letter word is it does a disservice to what could be far more interesting conversations about consent or about um, the way that we write about sex and talk about sex and I think that there are books that have sex scenes in them that are really problematic but it's not problematic because it's a sex scene. It's problematic because there is some element of um, of um non-consent or some element of violence or some element of something else that is misogyny, whoever, you know, whatever the thing is. I think when we just say books with no sex are good and books with sex are bad then we're we're just really losing an opportunity to have a much more interesting conversation because there are also really problematic books that have no sex in them. Truth. Um, but your mention of pornography made me think of, uh, I think it was Danica Ellis at Book Riot shared a, an article about uh, from the feminist librarian called Own Your Smut, which is about sexually explicit media and language. And the writer of that post, um, which we will link to, is uh, Anna Clutterbuck-Cook, who I think this is her... Blog, so obviously she is the writer of the thing, but she was kind of um saying that she explicitly refers to the erotic writing that she does as pornography or porn. She uses porn, smut, and erotica, I think pretty much interchangeably because she thinks of the, the distinction between erotica, which is more highbrow and legitimate and artful, and porn, which is crass or Ill- illegitimate or gratuitous, she feels like that is a harmful distinction, and I think I see what she is saying. I'm not sure I 100% agree with her. Um, in part because um, she was uh, referencing a tweet from Nicola Davidson, who was saying uh, that she didn't appreciate in very strong language, she said she did not appreciate that erotic romance authors um, were equated with writing porn. And I think that this post doesn't necessarily make the distinction between erotic romance and erotica, which you and I have talked about. And the very quick one sentence version of it is, as Jess said kind of earlier, that erotic romance does contain a romantic story. Erotica isn't as heavily reliant on story. That's what that's how I would describe it, Jess. I don't know if that's how you would as well.
0: Yeah, I mean there there is erotica that has a plot, but it doesn't always rely on it. Sort of the way that if you experience porn in any format, it you know there's a plot, but the sex is the is the center of it yeah i think that makes sense and i think
1: that that the thing that this post from the feminist librarian um is not discussing as much and maybe intentionally right is the fact that we as a society are not in a place where we can accept or um understand what that role of erotica or porn could be and so if you are an erotic romance writer I think you don't want to get grouped in with a thing that is considered to be dirty or dirt to be. And, I, you know, there are also to be very clear, a lot of uh, pornography does have elements of problematic pieces, whether it's misogyny or, you know, whether or not um, actors or actresses are using condoms or, you know, like there's just a lot of things about porn that at this point in many realms, not all, is still really problematic. And so I think that equation, I can understand why an author would push back against that equivalency.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it all goes back to puritanical America. Um, Because even if you think about the stuff that is more driven towards men, it's all dirty books, dirty magazines, dirty movies, because it's about sex. And, uh, you know, this, the whole concept of clean versus dirty I, I keep hearing, um I don't know if you're familiar with The Music Man, but Hermione Gingold is the actress who plays um Eulalie Shin in the movie version from the 50s and there's this whole scene where they're talking about dirty books in the library and I just hear her he- her voice in my head every time it's like she advocates dirty books and of course I can't say it like Hermione Gingold cuz she's amazing um but <laughs> <laughs> there's just this thing where it's like what what is dirty and who is it dirty to mhm yeah yeah i didn't expect to get quite there <laughs> I was going to say, if
1: you have like a YouTube clip of that, Jess, you just send it to me. I'll stick in the show notes. Everyone will know exactly what you're talking about. All It'll right. be great.
0: I, I'll get that um, to you. I promise.
1: But yeah, I like I said, I, I think there is, and I think you and I are both of the mind that there is a lot of nuance here. There's a lot of sort of cultural expectation and a much more interesting conversation could be had than is just clean versus dirty. Absolutely. Uh, so anyway, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll link to what, whatever we have, um, whether it includes a music man clip or not. I don't know. Wait and see. (laughs) Take a look at your show notes and see what is down there. (laughs) So that is that conversation. The other thing that we wanted to discuss today a little bit, um, kind of came from a post show, uh, conversation Jess and I were having a couple of weeks ago about rereading and, whether we reread or not my sister actually asked me once because i think we've mentioned on the show i am a rereader and i think you are not
0: is that right jess i am not i have tried to pick up things that i had read before and ended up sort of walking away from them i i used to be back before i had my own expendable income and a limited number of books Mm -hmm. and couldn't go back to the library because i kept keeping books too long that's another story well, and now story. you're a
1: librarian, so like, <laughs> I mean, people should know librarians
0: understand that problem. Just bring your books back. It'll be great. Just bring your books back. <laughs> but yeah, no, I nowadays, I, I do not believe in personally rereading because there are so many books on my want to read list, either physically in my space or just on my mind.
1: Okay, so let me tell you why. I do reread because I'm similar in that like my TBR is hundreds of books long. Like I even have the books, like whether it's on my Kindle or in my bookshelf, like I have them. But I will reread for a couple of reasons. So first of all, I sometimes appreciate the familiar, like I kind of appreciate knowing how a book makes me feel so that I don't have to kind of, I kind of like removing that X factor. Like there are times when, and it's usually when I'm sick or when I'm stressed or when I... Don't have a lot of time to read. It's nice to be able to think, like, okay, I need to relax for half an hour. What book will do that for me? And then I will pick it back up. And I also kind of like knowing ahead of time, like, I can kind of pop in and out, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I will reread a book from cover to cover, but other times I will just kind of like skim through, read a scene that is very sweet or sentimental or that is very action oriented or, you know, whatever. And then like skim through something that's super boring and like move on. Another thing that I do is to reread, and this is less common, and I will explain why in a minute, but I will reread to catch up with a series. Like I know a lot of people when a new Harry Potter book would come out would reread the whole Harry Potter series, uh, which is very fair, like totally makes sense. You don't have to do that as much with romance authors a lot of the times because a lot of times their books come out. Relatively, you know, with all within, you know, you could have three books all come out within 15 or 18 months. Um, but one of the authors that I find myself doing the reread to catch up with is Penny Reed, who we mentioned earlier, because her books often in a series won't come out. I mean, there'll be a year or a year and a half between them. And since I like those books anyway, it's kind of a good excuse to revisit them and like find that <laughs> feeling that I was just sort of talking about. Yeah. So those are some of my, reasons that I reread. And I will let you uh, weigh in on whether or not those sound just absolutely bananas or they make any sense at all. Before I start talking about some of the weird idiosyncrasies of my rereading.
0: I mean, those are all those are good reasons to reread. I, I can totally see somebody who is not me. You, um, (laughs) rereading for those reasons. I think one of the things that is an issue for me is that I have to read every word whenever I pick up a book. Uh, I can't, I can't skim. I can't, mm -hmm. I can't jump from scene to scene, even if I know what it is. Like I'll, I'll, I'm doing like a book club discussion at the end of the week and it's for Parable of the Sower, which I read less than a year ago, maybe a little more than a year ago. And I keep picking it up. And trying to like find all of the areas where I know I need to remind myself of things happening. And then I end up reading huge swaths of it at once because I, I mean, I don't know how I made it through college. Um, but, but you I just, did. I just have to read every single word. And that actually might be why I am so cool with not finishing books mm. because I will have consumed like enough of it to know why I won't like it if I keep going. That's a whole other conversation though. Do you finish books? I can't remember.
1: I am much less likely to DNF, which means do not finish for those of you in the audience like my mom who don't know. Um <laughs> I have to really not be having it with a book before I will step away from it like before I won't finish it. So I yeah, I finish almost every book, but I will say If there's a book where I'm like, "Mm, actually, this is a good example. Recently, I read a book that I, by the, I would say like two thirds of the way through, I was just kind of hate reading. But I wanted to know, I wanted to know if they were going to come back around and fix all of the things that were wrong with this book, like the attitudes of it and the characters and everything. Side note: They did not, which is why I did not talk about it here on When in Romance. Um, (laughs) But I really kind of wanted to get to the end just to be like, did they? Maybe they? You know, because that's the thing that I need the closure. I need the Uh closure of knowing: Did they fix this? No. Yes. I'm much more likely to stop reading a book just because I'm bored than because I don't like it.
0: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I definitely I stop books because I'm bored as well. But I I can DNF multiple books in a month-long setting. I, f- I see absolutely no reason to finish a book that I am vaguely enjoying. I have finished books that are like, why do I keep reading? Yeah, I was interested in how it ended, uh, but there was enough interest in how it ended for me to keep going. If I'm reading, even if it's funny and I like the people, it's like, well, I don't know, the plot isn't working for me. And I think that level of like needing to know how it ends is another reason why I don't do much rereading because I I know the story. And with movies, I can throw on the same movie. Like I've probably listened to slash half watched Captain America, the first Avenger four times. In the month of March, like I probably have, but it's a completely different thing where it's just on because I know it and it's a familiar thing that I don't have to pay attention to. And I can't do that with a book. So it's always new consumption for me.
1: Yeah, that's funny because it does seem like we are doing the exact same thing. You're just doing it with Captain America and I'm doing it with Virgin (laughs) River. Which, side Uh note, speaking of (laughs) idiosyncrasies, one of the things that as I was reflecting on my rereads, I realized is that I often reread books that are not necessarily my favorite books Hmm. and not necessarily books that I would recommend. And not because the, the content is problematic, although there's an exception to that too, which we'll get to in a minute. But it's more just because I don't necessarily think... So, like I said, I mentioned Virgin River. Another book similar to that is Worth the Fall by Claudia Connor. Like, those are both books that are very fluffy and, like, soap opera-y dramatic. Like, not dramatic, but I'll be reading them. And even once in a while as I'm rereading them, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit. I'm like, okay, all right. They're just smoking pot. It's fine. Settle down. (laughs) (laughs) But there is just kind of this, I don't, like I said, it's the familiar, it's almost like the fact that it's so soap opera-y and I know how it's <laughs> going to go. And it's exactly the right amount of like emotion and tension and whatever else. Um, But like I said, I did realize that aside from um like Penny Reed, who I have reread multiple times, or uh, Courtney Milan, who I reread multiple times, who those books I obviously love. I've talked about them, uh, you know, a thousand times on the podcast. I think that Um, Rebecca Weatherspoon's So Sweet series is going to get added to that category, too, because it's also sort of short and fluffy and light and a good, easy, just immerse yourself for 20 minutes and then move on with your day much calmer. You know, it's like my version of like the meditation app. You just like spend 20 (laughs) minutes reading something that's nice and then move on. But or there's another book. And this is the other thing. Like I I'm not even going to mention the book. It's the first in a series about a motorcycle club um so some of you will probably be able to put it together but <laughs> many people won't actually even read motorcycle club books which is totally fair absolutely makes sense um but this one is one of the ones that is kind of less violent and more heroey and whatever anyway there's the first book i really like as that series progresses i feel like it kind of becomes more problematic and so mm. that's another example of i don't really discuss those books or that author not cuz this book necessarily is an issue but because I don't, yeah, I don't know. Things The wheels kind of come off the wagon a little bit later Oops. on, and there are some things. But again, I will sit and read 15 minutes of this book, calm down about my life, and go back to packing my apartment, which is what I'm doing now.
0: <laughs> See, I also need that like 20 minutes of diving into that, but I have another outlet for that is what it is. I go find a one shot of some sort of fan fiction. And I don't even have a dedicated fandom anymore. I I usually just go see what Kat Sebastian or Kay Taylor Ray are talking about on Twitter and go read that. <laughs> and, and then that's my 10 to 20 minutes of reset. And then I move on and go find a full length book that I haven't yet read. Got it. Okay,
1: that makes sense. Let me ask you, this is uh, sort of only tangentially related, but I'm curious. I was wondering about this earlier. If you have read a couple of books by an author and liked them and then read a book that is in whatever way problematic or kind of an issue is one book that has something in it that's problematic enough for you to make to make you quit an author that you previously liked entirely or will you give that person another chance?
0: Oh gosh, it it really varies for me. There are there are authors who I have not picked up a book again after reading something that was severely problematic in their characterization of someone their their representation of something that they hadn't represented before, but if it's if it's let I, I hate to say less problematic if it's something that it seems like they know that they can acknowledge that they did in a way that they are trying to fix, I might give their next book a try. Got it, but there are so many books I know it's true. If there's an author, I can just say, you know what, maybe I'll come back to you in a, in a few years then. Yeah, I'm with you. I agree that there are kind of, there's
1: a spectrum of problematic, right? Like there's a, mm-hmm. somebody might have been less sensitive than they should have been to a kind of representation, but other people were okay with it. And then there's like, oh, no, this hero is violent and abusive and I'm done. mm mm-hmm. yeah. So anyway, I was just kind of, like I said, that was a huge tangent, but I was just curious. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah, I would be super interested to learn once I get my Facebook or my uh, Book Riot comments working again, um, <laughs> who out there is a rereader or who is not and how you reread, because I learned a lot about myself. I'm going to be honest, as we um, jumped through this uh, particular discussion. So uh, <laughs> I would be interested to know what all of your reflections are now that we know where Jess and I stand which is uh, in different places, but also I don't read fanfic, so that's probably part of why. And I have only watched Captain America once.
0: Oh, you you should watch it again.
1: I might actually, uh, I'm about to be on leave for several months from my job, so I may actually work my way through all of the Avenger movies. um, Someone challenged me to do it in chronological order before the next one comes out. I don't know. We'll see what happens. We'll check (laughs) back in in a couple of weeks, see how it goes, (laughs) see how it goes. Um, so I have now mentioned uh, a variety of books that I have reread, um, mm-hmm. with varying levels of commitment and uh, recommendation. So should we jump maybe just into some books that we are re- have recently read or that we would that we would fully recommend
0: to when in romance listeners? Absolutely, I can do that. So Trisha and I were talking about um, shorter books and. Even kind of going back to her whole concept of, um, books that you can sort of jump into, enjoy, and move on from. Um. Which is great when you are either, like me, trying to get through the 20 million books that you want to read, or like Trisha, just have a whole lot going on and want to read something and move on. <laughs> <Yeah>. mm-hmm. <laughs> um Short books are great. And we've talked about reading novellas before. And I think be- in part because it's something that is really popular right now, either with anthologies or just, um, you know, certain publishers or certain self-independent publishers who want to write shorter stories so there can be more of them, which I am all for. Um, short stories are really cool. And one place where I've started to go to find some actually much shorter uh, romances that have an a still successful story arc, because that, as we discussed a few weeks ago, is the key to a good novella, um, is Karina's Dirty Bits. Um, and I've only read a couple of them, but, um, the one that stands out to me the most is Going Down by Barbara Bell and I just looked it up it's actually only 13,000 words and it feels like so much more of a story when you're reading it um it's about a young woman who um we begin the story with her in an elevator and uh, her supervisor which is you know it can be squeaky for some people I know that um but it it works in this particular story um who she had kind of an encounter with previously and then Something happened, and she doesn't know what, and they never spoke again, really. Um, Gets on the elevator with her, and then it breaks down. Oh,
1: you love a stuck-in-an-elevator story, Jess.
0: I do! I don't... It's like... It's like, did you say elevator? Did you say two women, one of whom is bisexual, stuck in an elevator together, who have had a history, who might still have some chemistry? I think you did. Um... So, you know, the elevator is stuck just long enough for them to figure out what the heck went wrong. Um, and then, you know, things go on from there. But it's, it's a really great, really brief story. The cover is just great to look at. Like, it's one with a, a shot that I haven't seen on the cover of a novel before. So it's, it's just easy, quick, fun. And pretty sexy, because this is the Dirty Bits. Speaking of dirty. Yeah,
1: speaking <laughs> of dirty. So you mentioned that, yeah, you got this on Karina's Dirty Bits. Is it is it a published book that people can find? Or is it like a, I don't know, indie public? Like is if we go
0: on Amazon or? It is available on, on Amazon. Got it. Um, and you can see basically all of them on Karina's um, website they release them in clumps at a time so you can definitely see what's available and they're all they're meant to be short so if this is if you're looking for short things to read that still have a good arc and are pretty sexy yeah check those out thanks karina for (laughs) for curating
1: that that collection yes yeah i like that um (laughs) well and speaking of yeah as i i sort of alluded to and just mentioned as well i am trying to move and start like a multi-month road trip. Uh, if you're a Book ride Insider, you can listen to the podcast I did with Amanda Nelson about it. Um, <laughs> but so uh, things for me are a little bit chaotic. So I have actually been returning to a lot of those rereads and those pop in and out books. But the other thing that I have been doing a little bit of is reading part of a book that I think Jess recommended on the podcast, which is I think how I know about it, which is called Geek Out. It's a collection of trans and gender queer romance it is multiple short stories. Some of them really are more novella length. And the the thing that's a little tricky about this book is that it is, I think, only available in hard copy. And it is maybe $15 or $16. So it's a little bit more of an investment than a lot of what we usually recommend on the show. But as we've discussed before, if you are supporting uh more inclusive romance, and this absolutely is that, uh, and you can swing it, then It's worth checking out, um, if you can manage that. Um, but I will mention specifically one story, uh, that I read in probably 30 minutes as, again, a meditation between packing boxes, uh, (laughs) which is called Horse Crazy. It's by Caitlin Ritchie and it's about uh, a trans woman who moves with her daughter, um, to Colorado after, you know, things did not go great with, um, her wife who she had the daughter with. And she had told her 15 year old daughter that if, she went with her, with Kristen, Kristen's the daughter. Kristen went with Melody, who's the mom, to, um, Colorado that she could take horseback riding lessons. And as <laughs> it turns out, Derek, the horseback riding lesson instructor, is, uh, very handsome and very charming. Um, and it's a, it's a really lovely story. Like I said, I read it in probably 20 or 30 minutes. Uh, there was one moment where Derek, uh, says to Melody, Oh, are you going to be here tomorrow? And she says, Yeah. Um, and he said, okay, cool, I'll come find you. And Melanie's like, I didn't understand why, because I'd already paid for all of the lessons. But she was not quite <laughs> getting that Derek was, uh, maybe, maybe hitting on her a little bit. And I was like, oh, I feel that. I feel you, Melanie. <laughs> I totally get it. Um, but it was a really lovely, kind of, uh, charming story. And it's, um, because we did just talk about short stories uh, not that long ago, um, I wanted to offer something that was part of a larger book where you could get some other larger, uh, longer stories as well. I've not read all of them yet, but the ones that I have, I've really enjoyed. Um, so again, that is Geek Out. It's a collection of trans and gender queer romance. Uh, and there there's not an editor listed, but it does say LT3 Press Presents Geek Out. And I will make sure that there's a link to it in the show notes so that you can find it if you are uh, looking
0: for it. Awesome. Yeah, that's a great collection. I loved reading it. Um, I, I don't know if all of the stories there are available individually. I do know that divine, defying convention, which I think is the first one is available individually because I realized I had it after I'd read the, the entirety of geek out because that happens. That happens. Oh, sure. Yeah. All the time.
1: I mean, whatever these things. Yeah, that's
0: the way it goes. That's the way it goes. <laughs> So if if you are a regular listener to One in Romance and you are wondering, hey, Jeff hasn't mentioned Alyssa Cole a single time during this episode, guess what? It's time. It's time. <laughs> it's time because another shorter but still longer, like my Kindle said that it was kind of like a two and a half hour read. So an evening or a Saturday morning or a really long lunch break, um, whichever you want to do, will give you the chance to read Can't Escape Love, which is um the newest novella in the Reluctant Royal series. And it is the best thing
1: Okay, time out. I was going to talk about this book, and you explicitly said that you wanted to talk about it. So you're going to have to do slightly better than it is the best
0: thing. <laughs> I, I know I've I can move on. I just had to say that and be my little dorkish self for a second. Um, if you have read the previous books in the Reluctant Royal series, you might be familiar with Reggie, um, who is Portia's twin sister. Both sisters appear in a princess in theory. And then, uh, Portia is the heroine of a duke by default. And you get a little more of Reggie in that book with Portia's connection to, um, girls with glasses, the website that Reggie runs and, um, just, you know, they're being sisters and figuring out their own relationship, which has had some trouble in the past. And, this actually takes place somewhere along the timeline of a Duke by default. There are things that are happening in that book, um, that Reggie and her new friend, Gus, are discussing when Reggie finds out about them. There, there's this great scene er, really early on. So I'm not like spoiling anything where their mother is like, what is a sword, babe? Because oh, yeah. <laughs> if you recall in A Duke by Default, the whole sword bay thing, which is adorable, um, and something that we can definitely talk about at another time. But anyway, <laughs> so Can't Escape Love has an interesting setup because you have Reggie, who is a young woman living in New York with a ta- ataxia. Did I say that right? I don't know. Okay. Um, she was sick when she was younger and now she is disabled. She doesn't walk very well. Um, so she is usually in one of her fleet of wheelchairs. Um, she is a very, very, very large, proud nerd. Um, and there have been so many geeky references in this book that I was delighted to understand and feel in my soul. (laughs) Um, And she is having a problem at the beginning of the book. She can't sleep. And what used to be one of her assistants with that is no longer available. So she contacts the person whose live stream she used to watch and listen to and communicate with and be like, hey, can you make some recordings for me? And he's like, no. Um, But because that's weird. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's weird. But I mean, I can call you and like, bore you to sleep, maybe, I don't know. Um, So that's how their relationship starts. And it just goes from there. And it turns out he's an escape room designer. And he is dis- designing the escape room based on her favorite anime. So there's also that. And it's just adorable and really darling and pretty darn sexy and it won't take much of your time so you should read it even if you haven't read the other reluctant
1: royals book see and that's always key too you can read it by itself it can stand alone but you want to give folks the name one more time can't escape love
0: by Alyssa cole i'll get it
1: (laughs) because there's an escape room yep yep (laughs) so smart uh yeah we do love our Alyssa cole we also love our courtney milan and i already mentioned the brother sinister series which um is a reread for me i've reread multiple times but uh i will mention one of the books that i've reread this weekend uh again give myself like an hour of time out is the governor's affair by courtney milan and this is a little bit less of a it's not as much of a fluffy book as um you know virgin river or uh the claudia connor book i mentioned or even so sweet by rebecca weatherspoon there's a little bit more depth and weight to this book and i will also uh mention a quick content warning that there is physical abuse and sexual assault in the book it doesn't happen on the page but it's discussed um and the story of this book which you can also read completely independently of the series although it's a fun uh preview into where the series is going to go especially at the end um there's a governess Serena Barton who was let go of her from her position she is pregnant and so um, the person who got her sacked and also got her pregnant uh, through non-consensual sex is the Duke of Claremont. And he is not great. So he's gone like he's trying to win the Duchess back because he's messed up and like he's a huge disaster he turns out to be awful and we learn more about how awful he is in the next book in the series but he's pretty awful here too uh and he has this guy who's merciless man of business as he has described the wolf of claremont who sees this woman this governess coming and just sitting outside of the duke's estate every day waiting to get some recognition or some something so that she can raise this child and so the uh Wolf of Claremont, who's also named Hugo Marshall, is trying to kind of, you know, break this woman's spirit and get her to go home, but also is a little bit falling for her. And she's also a little bit falling for him. It turns out uh, Hugo Marshall is uh, maybe not as wolfish as his, you know, title would have him suggest. Um, So it's just a really lovely uh, story that happens in sort of a short period of time that kind of fits the novella setting. This book has also been used as a really great example or discussed as a really great example of uh, consensual sex and of ensuring that uh, a woman particularly particular who is a survivor of sexual assault is fully empowered in uh, her next sexual encounter and so it's just like I said it's very lovely either as a standalone or to get you kicked off onto the whole series you know which one I would advocate so I will not uh you know go any further than that but that is again <laughs> the governess affair by courtney milan it's uh, available either by itself or as part of the full brother sinister
0: series excellent
1: so i think those are our book recs we did not make it under 45 minutes but maybe next time jess <laughs> maybe, maybe next, next time. time nothing's impossible hey it hasn't been an hour yet that's true that is true um, But we please do let us know what if you have thoughts on this discussion of clean and dirty and erotic and pornographic and steamy uh romance, please let us know. Um, and also definitely let us know whether you are a rereader or not, and whether you are kind of a weird rereader like I am.
0: Yeah, I'm curious to know that too. Yeah,
1: let us uh, let us know. So you can catch me. I am at Trisha Haley Brown on Instagram at Trisha Haley Brown with no O on Twitter.
0: And I am Jess is reading all one word on Twitter and Jess underscore is underscore reading on Instagram.
1: And I'm very optimistic that soon I'll be able to read Book Riot comments again. So feel <laughs> free to leave things there too. Absolutely. But for now, I think that might be it.
0: That might. I hope you have an enjoyable time checking out one or all of the brief books that we've mentioned and a happy reading.
1: Yeah, and if you're moving, you're welcome for all the recommendations. Uh, (laughs) Happy reading, everybody.
0: Happy reading. (laughs)